Hey everybody, John Murphy here with you. Happy to have you on the home front today. We're here on Wednesdays live at WILI AM 1400, 95.3 FM. And of course, as you can tell, these are also recorded for YouTube. The radio station has its own YouTube channel with all of the five o'clock shows Monday through Friday. And we're here Wednesdays from five to six. So we're happy to have you live or later on on YouTube. Also, if you check it out, you can subscribe at YouTube and every new show will come to you automatically for all the shows. So you get them automatically to keep up with all the local news that we're talking about. For the second half of the show today, we're going to talk about Eastern Connecticut State University and funding for higher education and how the school is trying to improve its services and to adapt to the changing circumstances for higher education funding after COVID and during the state restructuring of higher ed across Connecticut. That'll be for the second half of the show. For the first half, I'm happy to have two friends back in the studio again to talk about the next Repair Cafe. That's coming up this Saturday, July 8th. They do these four times a year. And it's from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the First Congregational Church. So welcome back to the studio, Judy Prill and Ginny Walton. Appreciate your good work and for being here today. Thank you, John. Thank you, yeah. You bet. So let's get into the nuts and bolts first before we get into the whole purpose for the cafe in terms of everybody contributing to reducing waste. Uh, but the cafe is a special event. There's only a few of these. And people are still learning about the idea of going somewhere to fix things for free with volunteers who are giving their time to fix things for free to reduce waste so things aren't just disposably thrown away. It's a beautiful idea. You've been doing it now, I guess, since 2014, you said, right? Yes. So that's great. You know, it's a long track record. Congratulations on all those fixings. It doesn't Ginny? seem that long. Yeah, time <laughs> no, flies. Time yeah. flies. But Judy, uh, you know, uh, and Ginny, maybe tell us about how you first decided that we could try it here locally and what the decisions were to give this town a chance. Well, yeah. it was a resident that approached me who read an article put out by P2View, which Judy, when she worked for DEP, right. put together. Uh -huh. So it actually uh, caused this person to come in to see me and ask, could we do this in town? So um, I said, yeah, it's a great idea, so are you willing to work with me? And she's like, sure. So we started looking at um, fixers, people that have the skills to repair things. That was the the big piece of it that of course. we thought. Yeah. Sure. And um, the organization that was very helpful with this was the Access Agency mm -hmm. and their Wyndham um, Area Hour Exchange. That's right. Which is a way of not using money, but rather doing exchanges. So there was a group of, a core group of people that were signed up for that. And out of that came some volunteers to repair things. So that's how we got started, is one person saying, I like this idea. Yep. Can we work together on and it? And there hadn't really been any in Connecticut before that, I don't no. think. No. No. It was something that was started in Denmark, I believe. Or, that's right. Yeah, that's and, right. And that's what the article was more about and they're starting all over the world but we really didn't have anything in Connecticut at the time. This is one of the examples I love about this series of shows is that it really really shows how simple and powerful it is where individuals can really make a difference locally. You know, it doesn't have to be a national thing for you to find about in the New York Times. It's in your neighbor's area, maybe your red neighbor's newspaper or the local paper. 
Uh, so for this coming cafe again, it's this Saturday, July 8th. Uh, can you run down some of the things that people are ready to repair? Because there's a lot of things that changes on who's available each time. And as you go through your attics or maybe your garages, look at things that either you're not using that could be given to someone else. And if they need a fixing, bring them here and they can pass it on. But it's a great idea. And uh, I know you have a great team of volunteers who spend four hours there fixing a lot of things. So what's it look like if I close my eye this year, brought in my stuff? Well, um, we have like electrical repairs, which include lamps, um, like uh, small appliances that you'd find in your kitchen, fans, things like that. Uh, those are very popular items that people bring in, vacuum cleaners. That's right. Um, even bread machines people have brought in. <laughs> but then we get odd things like toys and uh, clocks, odd clocks. And it's hard to remember all the things. But, right. But we also have a big section that does sewing. And uh, if you have a rip in your pants or you want to, uh, you know, fix something... I know that's one area where Virginia again. does a lot of work with the sewing. You've got three or four women who really work hard on those machines. Mm -hmm. What kind of things do people bring in? I know sometimes you see college students fixing some of their clothing during the, you know, during the school year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what kind of sewing things do yeah. people bring in? Yeah. Um, well, like Judy mentioned, rips, if there's a rip, um, or they need something hemmed. They bought something, it's too long, so they want it shortened. Mm -hmm. Um, it could be an alteration. Um, the the skirt is too big for me. Can you make this smaller? Oh, the so. pants are too long, right? Yeah. There right. you go. Head of the right. Excellent. Well, I've seen some people with uh, elastics that wear out on things, and yeah. you've replaced elastic yeah. band, yeah. the yeah. elastic yeah. waistbands. Yeah, um, a five-year-old and her mom brought in a toy, a stuffed toy, that had an ear that was ripping. And the little girl and I repaired that ear. So she learned how to use a needle. Wow. So yeah. maybe she could be the, uh, the stuffed animal doctor next time. Yeah. Right? Well, that's the big yeah. thing that's about the, the repair, yeah. repair cafe is that we're trying to show people that they can, too, start to repair things. So a lot of people will watch us, you know, and try to learn how to do things. You know, some of the things are a little more complicated, like sure. electronics repair or whatever. But right. You know, lamp repair can be learned pretty easily. and uh, I understand lamps are like one of the most common items. People love to fix broken <laughs> lamps, huh? Well, lamps have a sentimental value. People have passed them down, and they have, you know, feelings towards them, believe it or not. Right. And uh, they want those fixed, so they don't tend to throw those out. Something else I see occasionally, there are a lot of folks out there that really love the art of cooking and they work through knives and they have to have mm -hmm. them sharpened all the time to do a good job. And I've seen lines there, people really bringing in knives. Can you talk about that and how that works out? Um, not only knives, but scissors, mm -hmm. uh, um, hand tools that need sharpening. There you go. I mean, all kinds of implements come in for knife sharpening. So. Um, you, you bring it in. If if there's a long line of people, then you'll have one or two items sharpened, and then the person who's doing the knife sharpening will look to see, okay, are there a lot of people there? Right. So they might have to go to the back of the line if Come they have. Back again. Because yeah. most of us, myself included, I bring in a whole lot of stuff to be sharpened. 
I know, and folks, I think are well-intended, but they don't always think about people behind them. And I've seen people come in with a large number of things, and people are behind them. And the fixer is kind of awkward. They're on the spot, you know. Mm -hmm. So anyway, just try to think about that. Leave some in the car if there's too, you know, time come back. It's all for free. You can make donations, which help to run the, the cafes, which are four times a year, by the way. So how do you manage the finances to make this free for everybody? Just how does that work in the nonprofit world? Well, the donations actually cover the use of the room. That's right. that's our expense. And also um, uh, some of the funds that we have is used for refreshments because it's a repair cafe, <laughs> which means there's food and drink. So uh, because we want people who are waiting to be comfortable while they're waiting, you know. As well as the repairers having yes, snacks, too. Yes, yes. Oh, a yeah. lot of times we don't get a chance to because right. it's pretty busy, but it's nice yeah. to have coffee and yeah. snacks there. I think we're going to have to kind of renegotiate that volunteer contract here to allow a little break time, a little food <laughs> time. Because sometimes of the year that room is really full. And it's upstairs. It's a nice area uh, in the uh, First Congregational Church at 199 Valley Street, right across uh, from Willard's and down the street from the Willie Co-op and the Shabu Stage. This is Saturday the 8th. Now, one of the things I like about the cafe is that it's a special day. They do it four times a year. But you always hear about taxes going up and how towns are spending more for trash, trash removal shipping trash out to other states. I know today in the news, the city of Hartford was doing a lot of debating over the excessive cost of moving their trash out of the area. So what I want to ask you too, since this is not not about political things or any bill, but I'm asking about people who are watching or listening and what everybody does every day that adds to the problem. Because part of the trouble is reducing the generation of waste. Okay, we have it, we have to get rid of it. But what can we do to reuse or recycle, like you said? So the Repair Cafe is one really good way to show it every day. But since this is part of your work, you know, many towns in our state don't even have a recycling coordinator the way Mansfield has, you know, Ginny. She has a core of volunteers like Judy that make this all work for free. Some towns do squat. And you'll know the difference, right, in the work you do. So, you know, without attacking particular towns, can you talk about how people don't, don't understand how much of their local behavior adds to this problem? Well, everything that we do is, um, um, you, you know, tied in some way to consumption. And every product that we use, there is pollution, and energy that's used in making that product, the back end, you know, what we don't see. Right. And um, so if we can, in our day-to-day -day life, whatever we're doing in the course of the day, mm -hmm. make sure that we're using things that are long-lasting and uh, quality items. And if, if something breaks, you know, can it be fixed instead of, you know, sometimes it's like it's a disincentive to fix things because it's more costly than buying new. So um, there's that tension there. But, but the, yeah. the invisible side of it is if it's cheaper to throw it away, it's also more polluting to throw it away. Because so it's now kind you're of a buying cost, right? It is a hidden cost, yeah. Mm -hmm. And mun municipalities are the ones that bear that burden. So, um, 
and that is also hidden to most residents because for most communities, not in Mansfield, but I would say 99% of the communities in Connecticut, it's in their taxes yeah. and it's hidden. And let me tell you, the price of disposal of trash is skyrocketing. You know, Mansfield, as of July 1st, is seeing a 53% increase in the cost of waste disposal. Uh, would you say that one more time, please, for the audience? What's the percentage increase, Ginny? 53%. See? As of July 1st. Right. I know you have a new contract yeah. because the cost of operating the whole system has gone up. So whatever people can do can make a difference. And they have talked sometimes about towns cooperating and they regionalize some purchasing. Some activities, they're trying to realize a little savings that they do things together. Do you know of efforts to coordinate that at the town or regional level? You know, big cities work on that with the suburbs, but all of these towns, they either ship it out or it's in their backyard, right? And they have to pay either way. Can you talk about that? I know it's kind of abstract, but it's everyday stuff that's costing a lot of money. Well, I mean, Mansfield, Willimantic, Chaplin, the listeners in this area right. are part of a, a waste region called Mid Narok. And the towns collectively go together in bidding out contracts for recycling bulky waste, mm -hmm. not for trash, but for the other recyclables and, right. and for bulky waste, yeah. and um, for chipping brush. So there is that regional effort for those types of items. I'm um, happy to live in Mansfield because we have a lot of opportunities to actually reduce our trash. Um, and I don't think as you know the towns around us have as many opportunities as we have. We have a wonderful transfer station that I has sure lots of areas in it that we have a swap shop so people can put items in there that can be reused. Uh, we have, you know, electronics recycling. Most towns do have that, but we right. have a, we go a little further in that, and um, we have areas for uh, shredded paper and things that, you know, other towns may not have. Residents so, can bring their food scraps for composting at the transfer station. Oh, I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. I think in the last thing. school year, students at uh, I'm not sure if it was the middle school or the high school, they were trying to collect their lunch waste. That was a pilot project for a while, and they were measuring how much they produced at school every day, just to quantify that. Uh, so now, the swap shop thing, there's only a few in the state. I know Judy was mentioning that before, and it's available here. There, there's a whole effort to try to give it more space, but they're trying to get some funding and some space set aside up there at the transfer station. But the swap shop has opened since the spring. Uh, are there good times to come there for people that if they find things that don't have to be repaired for the repair cafe, but they're not using a lamp or something, the swap shop I know is getting to be popular. People are using it. Tell people about that as a resource. Um, it's open when the transfer station's open with a caveat um, because it's in a building that is wide open. Yes. On really cold days, really hot days, really windy days. <laughs> It, the volunteers may not be there. 
So, for instance, it may there may not be volunteers there tomorrow or Saturday. It's ninety because, degrees. Yeah. 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 I mean, extreme days. Well, they're tough. Yeah. Those volunteers. They, they are. They, oh, yeah. they I've are. seen them during very cold times too. Yeah, yeah but they, the, but it, so it's best to call the transfer station before you show up to make sure it's open that day. And we have a good website. Mansfield does that, and it's what is it, Jenny? It's well, it's mansfieldct.gov um, slash trash. Right. And then search for transfer station, and you will yeah. find out all, everything you can bring there. There's a great video there about what's there, and you can see the place. Which Judy uh -huh. made. With Jenny. There you go. There you go. And, uh, you yeah. know, check it out. And in, in fact, we've shown it to a lot of different towns, and you know, because they're thinking of doing the same kind of thing to reduce their costs. I know. Uh, you know. I've heard some coverage in the media, even though it's limited. Towns are looking at their expenses, saying, "Well, what's going up, and how can we reduce the cost?" And all of a sudden, this pops up in a new way as a way to lower the costs, as well as environmental benefits that have nothing to do with the money. It's just the environment. So this is really great work. Uh, so, again, it's mansfieldct.gov slash trash. And the Repair Cafe, again, is this Saturday, July 8th. That's why they're here today. It's from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the First Congregational Church, 199 Valley Street in downtown Willimantic. I wish you a great turnout, a little cooler weather, and good success. And we'll look forward to having you back in the fall. And did you mention the Facebook page, too? For uh, by all means, say it again now. There is a Facebook there's page. There's a Facebook page yep. for the Repair Cafe. Just search for Willimantic Repair Cafe, and right. I'm sure you'll find it. Okay, Willimantic Repair Cafe. Always a pleasure to have you in the studio. Thank okay. you, John. Thanks, John. All right, we'll take a short break for some messages and come right back here on the home front. Stay with us. You got some pictures of us okay? Yes. We got it all in with more than you ever wanted yes. to talk about. <laughs> no, that was a lot in yeah. that one yeah. little uh, I have segment, to bring it up because huh? I've been doing this so long. I'm seeing the bigger picture that you know every day. But I'm getting a little more every time of how much is being lost. And I really can't stand the bottle situation with the returns where unless you buy it there, they won't take it back. They change the brands. Big Y sometimes doesn't update their database. So you you bring back beer that you bought there. It won't take the codes because oh, the system hasn't updated this brand not <laughs> sold here. That's frustrating. Yeah. Oh yeah. So what do people do? They probably do something else. They probably go, go in right? recycling. Yeah. So you add that one transaction times. That's now, what how much about. better is it to actually do that? Like, oh, it's so much better to do to the redeeming. Yeah, yeah because it's a clean stream it of is. material. And it works a lot of the time. I don't want to complain over and you know, be unfair, but these people make a lot of money off those deposits, and that should fund some geek to be there to get those codes in. You're already stocking it, so what the hell? Yeah. Somebody ordered it online. Anyway, how long do we have for our break? Uh, We're all set. Okay. Okay. Three minutes. Okay. okay. Thank you. All right. Well, read us coming. We'll see you Saturday. Okay. Good luck yeah. with everything. Keep yeah. it cool in there. Yeah. 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 Thanks yeah, for well, doing this. Oh, always good to see you both. Do you do you do the PSA that John did? Um, John did a public service announcement about John the, do it. John Schwenk uh, uh, about the repair cafe. Oh, we aired that last time. Yeah. Do you, I have that. Uh, you know what you should do? Remind me ahead of time for the next one because we have to reload it. It doesn't stay forever. Okay. There's a lot Could of I remind you tomorrow or is that too late? 
uh, tomorrow, Thursday, you could remind me and I'll see what I could do. But if you remind me when we talk about the next one, it could be even better because okay. we can have more time. But we'll see what we can get on okay. in a short time. Yeah. All right. I remember, John, it was a good message. It had no expiration. It was a yeah. good thing. Yeah, I thought, uh, yeah. okay, it's, yeah. it's not lined up in a queue. Okay. Right. All righty. Right. Take Thanks. care, folks. Yeah. Thanks, Judy. Thanks, Bye. Jenny. Bye. Take care. Have a good one. Okay. Jeannie does so much good work, but she's just shy a little. Yeah. Not yeah. To, to get it going. Okay, so how are we doing? Uh, we got two minutes. Okay, so let's see. We're at 24, 26. This is 22, 7, 28, 48. All right, let's have some fun. Actually, you know what I'll do? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lead into Elsa Nunez with Alan Sherman okay. saying hello, mother, hello, father. <laughs> I don't think that would be very dignified. Thank you very much, Lord, for keeping me from destroying myself. <laughs> and this way, Matt is the only one that sees that side. <laughs> the private story. Who is the real host? Oh, where does he sleep at night? In boxes of his native soil. <laughs> About one minute. One minute. Okay, let me get this together. Nunez is May 10th. At the end, I'll play the song. Okay. Last time. <coughs> 40 seconds. 40, 40. Alrighty, we're back live on the home front here on this Wednesday. Glad to have you with us here live at AM 1400 or 95.3 FM or YouTube. Uh, for the second half of the program, we're going to focus on Eastern Connecticut State University and a special interview I had with President Elsa Nunez in the middle of May, just before the end of the legislative session. We took some time together in the program to kind of look at a year in review at Eastern but also how the budget process is impacting the way that, that the school is planning for the future, how they're adapting to changes after COVID, and how they're trying to adapt to changes in the structure at, to higher education across the state. It's a really timely interview, and the thing that I enjoyed when I was reviewing it for today was that it holds up as a positive message about how well the school has adapted to change in the past. It has reserves. It's going through changes now. But its role as the state's only public arts institution is really shining now is one reason why it needs a lot of attention during all these upcoming changes. The session ended. The funding is going to be implemented. Schools are now going to begin to spend money and deal with the impacts of funding changes. And part of the mission of Eastern to serve the, uh, the liberal arts is part of their mission. And that's something that Elsa will focus on during our conversation.
So we've edited down for a couple of comments at time, but one thing that happened after the interview is that Dr. Nunez mentioned that she would be retiring next year and that this coming year would be her last year as president. So I'm very happy to share this conversation with you one more time. She has good things to share about Eastern and higher education, and I'm happy to share it now. And I'm very honored to open the show today with President Elsa Nunez from the Eastern Connecticut State University. It's wonderful to have you in the studio, Elsa. Thanks oh, for being John, here. Oh, John, thank you for inviting me. It's always a pleasure. It thank is you. always a pleasure. Quite a few over the years. <laughs> so we have some time. I'm going to try to get through as much as we can. But we want to give uh, Dr. Nunez time to give some answers and kind of give you more context. We're in the middle of the budget session, so all the budgetary things are in flux right now. There's nothing really settled. But I thought one thing that uh, President that Nunez could do is to kind of frame our budget at Eastern with the larger system, which is going through changes of priorities, community colleges, how the CSU system works. And I know they're looking at kind of redesigning a lot of long-standing relationships. Mm -hmm. So can you give us a little crystallized view of how things are in this year? Yes, John. I appreciate the question because it's been in the news. You know, people are, you know, talking about it, debating the budget, and there's many perspectives. But let's start off with Eastern's budget. 18 years I've been president. Right. And we've had a balanced budget every single year. And that's a wonderful tribute to the community, the faculties and staff, my administrators who always, you know, everybody's on the frugal side. We don't spend what we don't have. So this community should be very proud of that. So the system is composed of 17 what I call units, 12 community colleges, four state universities, and you know that's Southern, Central, Western, and Eastern, and one uh, online entity called Charter Oak. Each of us has our own budgets. The story is that not each of these units is has had a balanced budget. So that's what you're reading about in the media, for example, uh, reading about and hearing about it in the media. And that is that Western and Southern are having challenges with their budgets. And that, uh, to be quite honest, never happens one for one year. It's over time that sure. you slip, 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 spend, 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 and then here, here you are with some budget challenges. Eastern, as small as it is, has about $33 million in reserve. And that's what you and I would put away in our savings account in case the furnace broke at home or right. the roof needed fixing. So I've done the same thing. If there's a tornado in Willimantic, if there's flooding and I have to repair something, I've got that money set aside so that it doesn't interfere with the student's education. So now what has happened is that over time, the, the um, governor and the Office of uh, Policy and Management have given um, uh, resources to, of course, to the workforce. And that, I mean, in terms of raises. And those raises are, people are entitled to them. They've worked very hard. You mean the state employee system. The state employee okay. system. Right. But when they negotiate those increases, we then get the bill at Eastern. We don't negotiate what Eastern's faculty or staff are going to get. The, the governor's office and the uh, OPM negotiates that, and then we're sent the bill. So those incremental costs, like inflation, mm -hmm. uh, wage increases, um, uh, things that um, we have no control over, energy for example, costs energy costs yeah. skyrocketing and sure. other costs skyrocketing. Goods are now you know at a prime and they're scarce. So all of those costs, if you add it up, are 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 
are difficult to cover if unless you get an increase in the budget and that's where we are today so the the audience has heard that the legislature is debating whether to lift the spending cap Connecticut has a spending cap and the governor's position which I respect is we're not going to lift the spending cap however there are organizations in Willimantic that are nonprofits like Horizons and others yeah. which have asked for increases for example they've asked for a seven percent increase in their budget and they've gotten a one percent increase uh in their budget the proposed one percent increase and they're saying no we want seven or eight so we can give our workers increases and so what has happened is for nonprofits and for higher education we're not getting the increases that we think we need in order to balance future budgets so for next year i think i can manage it but for the following year 25 the shortfall is about 17 million dollars for eastern right. and that's huge and that's right now why we're trying to get everybody's attention and say please stop you know look at these numbers this isn't that eastern has spent money needlessly or that we're not right. well managed. We've had a balanced budget, as I said, every year we have reserves and we will use some of those reserves for, for next will. year and yeah. for the next year, uh, the year to follow. So what I say is please don't let force us to cut services to students. The students deserve the shuttle bus. They deserve tutoring. They deserve supplemental instruction. They deserve good facilities that are clean and accessible to people with disabilities. Yep. So we can't do that if the budget isn't at the level that it should be. And so I want to take this opportunity to thank all the taxpayers because you realize that a fancy liberal arts college today, a private one, cost about $82,000 a year. Eastern all is about 27000 and change. That's with room and board and tuition. That's that's a, a wonderful price point, and that's because taxpayers, we get money from the state through the taxes that you pay and that you and I pay. And I want to thank all the taxpayers because I think in this world where we want a great democracy, you have to have access to higher education for everybody, not just the privileged people born yeah. into fancy families. No. If your mother cleans toilets, you should be able to go to college and get a first-class education. And that's really what Eastern's about. It's a public university, and we're very proud of the public, and it's a liberal arts university, which is public, and that's a rarity to have a public liberal arts college in, in a state. Now, you know, there's one more aspect of the budget thing that's in the papers that people will debate, and it's confusing, is the surplus versus the spending cap. Yes. Because the cap has come and gone over the years. It's been adjusted, but they have it set now. And the debate is we do have an existing surplus that some people say we should always save for a rainy day. Some say, well, we should use some of it now because some of these unmet needs that uh, uh, Elsa was talking about are sitting there on the table. So there's a tension for yeah, that. Yeah, there's a tension. And there's, you know, there you can make the argument either way. Don't you know? We do that at home, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. we're not going to buy that because that's not a necessity. That's a luxury. Right, and we right. we look at our list of things, and and that's what's happening. People are saying, no, we don't want to use the the surplus now. We just want to put it away for a, a, a situation where Connecticut would would need it. But, but on the other hand, you say, okay, so if you don't do deferred, if you don't take a, uh, pay attention to deferred maintenance at Eastern, and I'll speak to Eastern alone. 
phone because that's what I know best. All right, so now we've got buckets in the hallways because the ceiling is dripping because the roof is broken and we haven't fixed it. Then you've got, you know, deterioration in the in the structure of the building because there's water damage all through the building. Then you've got um, concrete breaking, which is dangerous. Then you've got electrical that needs to be fixed and on and on and on. So these things, even though you shouldn't, you may not want to spend your little extra money, you're going to have to. You're going to have to, or otherwise you're going to have a, a, a university that the taxpayer is going to say, I don't want my son or daughter or grandson or grandson going there. It's a dump, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, over time, and people have to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. Infrastructure is infrastructure. It's costly. Now, something else, you know, there's been so much research on across the country, New England has a disproportionate number of schools, a large number of colleges. And as you know, the demographics, the numbers are going down, although there are historic cycles. But when the number of students is down with many, many schools, this is a stress everywhere, private, public. Uh, so when you try to plan ahead and anticipate the changing numbers. Mm -hmm. How do you anticipate core needs that you know have to be met all the time? And then what areas may have to be deferred or wait until you have more demonstrated need to justify the resources when you want to do with them? Yeah, that's such a good question. My philosophy and my uh, uh, chief financial officer, uh, Jim Howarth, who's been a phenomenal colleague, and uh, he is so, so he's been with me for 12 years and he knows the budget inside out and works with me on all these numbers we are very conservative and I use that word meaning conservative so when we project for next year instead of saying oh we're gonna have more students than we need and we're gonna have thousands coming we don't do that we say what's the what's the minimum that we think we're gonna have and we base it on that the budget on that lower number and then if we get extra students that's gravy you know, right. and then we, we have that money and we can spend it on, on different things. But it's conservative budgeting that has helped us through the years, as I said, get, get to a place where we have a balanced budget. I think people often stretch. And, and so when they're doing their projections, they say, well, we're going to get money from here, money from there. And those are wish lists. They're not solid. And when you build a budget on soft ground, it's going to be a soft budget. Yeah. By the way, if you're listening to us on the radio right now, we're having a conversation today with Eastern President Elsa Nunez, and we're covering the budget and other things at Eastern. One thing you and I were talking about before that I want to include is, as you look at higher education with all the schools, the whole idea of liberal arts is not as common as you might think. There is a huge focus on technology, and people are looking at industrial growth and all the, all the benefits of technology. So you have lots of STEM, but there's also something called STEAM, which integrates the arts and humanities in technology about what is it for, who is it serving. So I guess my broad question is, when you look at the horizon of the very obvious need for technological growth, and all of our social issues are showing that we have a real issue of values, mm -hmm and purposes and accountabilities, how do you integrate that in a liberal arts program that includes like health sciences, a new nursing program, lots mm -hmm. of hard science, mm -hmm. but the application side? 
yeah. not just a theory. Yeah. Well, you have, I think, the, the those of you who remember the GI Bill, when we said these mostly men have fought for our country, let them get a discounted higher education. For the most part, it was free. And what a wonderful thing that was for those those men coming home. And uh, they, they benefited from that. And in those days, higher education, a college education was a public good. People believed that you got a college education and then you went out and you did some good in the world. So taxpayers said, I'll pay for that because all these people are going to do good in the world. And that's flipped. Today, the public doesn't see higher education as a public good. They see it as an individual good. It's good for you, John. It's good for Elsa. But I'm not so sure it's good for the public. And so if you go back in time, Harvard College was the first liberal arts college created in the country. And white men went to Harvard College. And what did they study? They studied music, philosophy, mathematics, religion. And those are what we call in Latin artes liberales, the liberal arts. The word liberal today, people think it's political. It's not, has nothing to do with politics. Liberal arts has to do with the arts. And so the Harvard men graduated and they knew each other. So they had a circle of men that they knew that were doctors, lawyers, financiers. And so they had a leg up in society. No, no private liberal, they were not enough uh, private liberal colleges to really go around in this country because they're small and they take in few students. And so public liberal arts colleges were created and Eastern is a public liberal arts college. There's only one in the state of Connecticut and all states that have them only have one and we're proud to have that designation. So when I go to the accounting banquet, I say to my students, we don't graduate accountants at Eastern and people look at me funny. And then I say, we graduate liberally educated people who happen to be accountants and they stop their feet. They're so happy. I said, because you can talk about the conflict in the Middle East, the role of religion in this country, the climate actions that we should be taking to cut back on the climate, you know, uh, issues that we're dealing with. And this education of a liberal arts is an intellectual education that gets you to think critically and to think systematically and to argue uh, with both sides, you know, one on the left, one on the right. But I don't mean politically. I just mean the weight of both. Uh, listening to other people's opinions, speaking clearly, understanding fact from fiction, and under, using facts in your argumentation. All of that is, is critical in a liberal arts education. If you take all that and, and you give that to a person who wants to be an accountant, they're a different person yep. because it's not just about the, tech, you know, the technical point of being an accountant. That's great that they know that, but they're, they're citizens of a democracy, so they can do other things in our society. They can participate in other ways. The same thing with people in technology. Yes, it's wonderful that you know every software available and, and you know the technology uh, behind the, or the hardware behind um, systems that's all interesting but that's not what makes you a whole person you're going to have to vote you're going to have to um, think critically about issues in our society you're going to have a family and you want to think critically about the education of your children right. about right. the role of your church if you go to church or the role of the uh, the, the religious uh, affiliation you have in your community uh, the, the issues that are complicated like homelessness right now uh, issues of climate 
All of those things take people who are intellectually developed to discuss them and debate them in a fair and even-handed way. And I think that's why I always argue, of course you can be a technician. Of course you you should major in in those things. Those are important. We need those those jobs and those careers. But why can't a person have both? And you can have both in a liberal education, and that's what we give at Eastern. And I think if you ask our students, they can articulate very clearly what being liberally educated means to them. I think they see themselves as more complex thinkers in many ways. Well, the world has changed so much, and unlike 20 years ago, they have more information available to do their own research, to check out their own information on their own. So that gives them more power at every level of inquiry, right? Yeah, but they've got to sort through that information. Yeah, that's right. And so you have to know what's fact and what's fiction, and you have to be able to discern that. Now, we have about 10 minutes to go, and one thing I want to do is shift our gears slightly to make use of our time and to talk to parents out there or folks in high school who are thinking about colleges maybe one or two years down the line, because the whole environment is shifting as we've been talking financially, what courses are being offered where. This is all kind of being realigned right now. So maybe some advice for parents who are looking ahead to this space and they want to be smart and plan ahead and not do it last minute. Yeah. Well, at Eastern, you can come as a commuter if you're local. You know, we still have many commuter students, and that's an option. But we do have the majority of the students living on campus. And we want the students to have a full, just a full college experience. That's not just the academic, but the social. It's very important for issues of mental health, that they participate in things, that they grow, and that they make friendships, and that they establish uh, relationships with people that they trust and respect. So it's not always your mother and father that you can talk to. So they're they're having these relationships on campus with uh, other students, sometimes with faculty or staff, are critical to the the college education. And so what we have at Eastern is a full array of support services for students. You know, you can get tutoring, you can get supplemental instruction. Supplemental instruction is when they reteach the course, when the faculty member may be a little bit too strict or too, you know, not communicating as clearly as the students would like, we reteach the material to the student. Um, We also have six uh, mental health professionals, uh, psychological counselors there. So if there are issues, and you know for this generation there are sometimes issues that they they need to work through, we have that support service. We have a fantastic array. I think it's 110 clubs and organizations. Some of them are religious, some of them are academic, like the political science club. Some of them are the math club. Some of them are social, like the dance troupe. Uh, Some of them are more um, giving in the community, like Best Buddies, in which they help people with developmental disabilities. But among those 100 clubs and organizations, a student connects to people and they connect to people with their values and their interests. And so over time, for four years, you're hanging out with these folks, you're going to class, and you're having a full experience that's social, psychologically, and academically sound. And we believe that you have to educate the full student. It's not just about what happens in the classroom. You know we're ranked in U.S. News and World Report. We're number one in New England. In in the uh, U.S. News and World Report, they break up the country into four quadrants, Mm -hmm. and the 
north goes from Maryland all the way up to Canada across to Pennsylvania. And you know how saturated that is, John, Love with you. colleges and universities. We rank number 16 among the publics. So, you know, parents have to listen to that. That means you're going to get a quality education for a very good price point. Yeah. Now, maybe there's one last question I want to ask, and that's a real delicate one because it can become politically critical for some people. But I have to have full disclosure. I've been a part-time teacher at Eastern 40 years. This is my 40th year because I love teaching there, and I love the program and the liberal arts aspect of my media teaching. But the reason why I bring it up is that since 40 years, I've seen incredible changes in students coming into school. And you've had 18 years at the helm at Eastern at a much higher level of much more students. And I've seen them coming in more stressed and sometimes less capable than they used to be. So what I'm trying to delicately do to, to not criticize local high schools is sometimes parents and voters don't like to fund local high schools. Local education is often a debate. And what happens when you don't support your local high schools, when they graduate and they come to Eastern, Eastern has to help them catch up. And that's a lot of work to it's help people so when they graduate, they're still ready to go. But some of that is energy that could be used elsewhere. Yeah. So I'm not trying to criticize schools, but letting parents know, look, you've got to support your school budgets. They need to do the job so that when they get to Eastern, they can maximize. Yeah. You know, and I'm you trying to put it the right way. Yeah, and I think that's such a good point, John. And you have to monitor the achievement gap. Is there an achievement gap? With, um, is your son or daughter um, not doing as well in mathematics as they should or in English, whatever it is? Because if you get after that and close that achievement gap while they're in high school, they're going to do much better in college. If they graduate with that achievement gap, when they get to college, you know, they're going to be D and C students because they've got such a far reach yeah. because it's hard. College is demanding. Yeah. And so I think you're right that uh, you don't want to blame the schools. No, I think no, the schools, no. the teachers are fabulous. I think the schools, you know, often don't have the right resources. And so to your point, we should support the local schools in whatever way we can. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, maybe since... We could close on a nice optimistic note. 18 I would years like that. <laughs> well, you know, because you go back to the session and there's still a lot of clouds in the sky. Yeah. Uh, but when you look at 18 years of service, what is the thing that surprised you? That when you got here, you had a vision, you thought, well, here's what I'm going to get into. And now you've had 18 years of living in our region. What is one of the nicest surprises for you that well, you didn't expect? Well, I taught English. I was a professor of English before I became president. And and I knew this in the classroom because I always learned from my students. But I had no idea, no idea how inspirational the students would be in my life. And that, that I, I'll cherish that till the day I die. They are so smart and so committed to issues of climate right now and equity and social justice and they believe passionately and you know people poo-poo this generation and say oh you know let they don't do this they don't do that I don't do that I find them very for the things that they believe in they are very motivated and they have been a source of inspiration for me much of the work I have done has been difficult but I must tell you when I focus on the students and their inspiration it makes it much easier and so I, I, I have to thank them for that
Okay. Well, thank you for sharing some time with us as this year comes to a close. And we'll try to get you back at the end of the year to see how things came out after the session. Everything yeah. settles down. And as schools are retooling and readapting, we'll see how things are going. And if people in the audience pray, pray that I get my budget. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out within a month or so. <laughs> That's we'll know, right, right? Thank okay. you. Well, thank you again it's so much. It's a pleasure. Okay, we're back live here on the home front on WIL. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with President Elsa Nunez from Eastern. Kind of a year in review, looking at higher education changes in the system and how the role of liberal arts is very much under challenge today and how to respond to it in a productive way. So we'll look forward to having uh, Dr. Nunez back on the show later in the year, as she said, for an update on how things are as the new budget is implemented uh, maybe in October, November. Okay, we have a calendar, so we have some events and good news to share about things that we're covering this summer, some events. But right now we're going to have a little musical humor for you, a record that you probably haven't heard before. It was a huge hit in American radio in the mid-60s. That was back when pop radio had things called instrumental songs and comedy records, of which this is one. Alan Sherman was, uh, he was working on The Tonight Show. He was a comedian, and he had a few very successful pop records. This is a classic summer song about life at the camp for the kids. So take it away, hello mudda, hello fada. Mother, hello, Fada. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining, and they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining. I went hiking with Joe Spivey, he developed poison ivy. You remember Leonard Skinner. He got ptomaine poisoning last night after dinner. All the counselors hate the waiters, and the lake has alligators. And the head coach wants no sissies, so he reads to us from something called Ulysses. Now I don't want this should scare you, but my bunkmate has malaria. You remember Jeffrey Hardy They're about to organize a searching party Take me home Oh, Madafada, take me home I hate Granada, don't leave me Out in the forest where I might get eaten by a bear Take me I promise I will not make noise or mess the house with other boys. Oh, please don't make me stay. I've been here one whole day. <laughs> Dearest father, darling mother, how's my precious little brother? Let me come home if you miss me. I would even let Aunt Bertha hug and kiss me. Wait a minute. It stopped hailing. Guys are swimming. Guys are sailing. Playing baseball. Gee, that's better. Mata Fata, kindly disregard this letter. 
Happy summer, everybody. The day after July 4th, July 5th, happy birthday, America, to the very best of you that is yet to be. A few words of levity there. Alan Sherman, hope you enjoyed that little geek moment. For me, it brought back the memories because I'm old enough to have heard that on the radio when it was a hit. So that's kind of dating me, but I'm going to stop that. we got a couple minutes left. I want to run down a few things. Coming up on July 10th in the evening from 5 to 6.30 is the Coffee Break Gallery opening reception. There's a show coming on, Land of the Free and the Brave, America the Beautiful. It's running through the month of July, and they have an opening reception at 5 p.m. on Monday. Monday, July 10th. That's next week. They're showcasing local artists and their talent. And there's a special networking meeting from 6 to 6.30 if you want to meet some people and get involved and, you know, connect your work with uh, with Wyndham Arts and the Wyndham Region Chamber of Commerce who are putting this exhibit together. Then just contact them again. That's coming up on July 10th, 5 p.m. Eastern Connecticut Veterans Center is at 47 Crescent Street right here in Willimantic. Uh, the Thursday concerts continue up in Mansfield, up at the Betsy Peterson Square. That's Thursdays in June and July at 6.30. They've been going on for a while now. Coming up on uh, July 13th is Seth Adam. They have the Awin Family Band on the 20th. That's Thursdays at 6.30 up in stores. The Poetry in the Park series is back in Willimantic. I'm very happy to have them back. They started last month at the Julia de Burgos Park. It's at the corner of Curbstone Way and Jackson Street, about a mile and a half from our studios. And they continue on Thursday, July 7th at 6.30. I'm really happy to see Allison Myers on the program. She lived here in town for so many years. Allison will be here as well as Antoinette Brim Bell. So that's the Julia de Borgos Park series on the 27th at 6.30. Also, some other news. Uh, the Community Foundation of Eastern Connecticut was awarded a, a $1 million grant from the new state fund that's been set up that's trying to collect revenue from cannabis sales. They are used periodically by an equity council to, to distribute funds to organizations around the state. And the foundation serves 42 municipalities in the eastern region. And they are going to be able to fund organizations in New London, Norwich, and Wyndham. Applications will be available for you to find out about accessing these funds in August and September. So go to the website of the Community Foundation of Eastern Connecticut for more information. The grant was just awarded. They were the only community foundation in the state to get this support, and it's meant for people in our area. So I'm trying to reach them to come on the show in the next week or two to talk about this great opportunity. Okay, also, uh, you know, as part of that, we have a new cannabis retailer opening in North Wyndham on the Old Post Road up there near the Super Future Fitness on that side of town, they're going to be opening soon. They were approved recently. So I'm working on getting interviews with people from this one as well as Fine Fettle to talk about the new business of cannabis retail and how it's helping people around the state in many ways. So we'll look at that during the summer. Also, good news right here in town. This is great. The Wyndham Theater Guild got a $50,000 grant from, from the state, and they're going to be using it uh, to help upgrade the facilities. Their opening show for the season is coming up July 28th is Young Frankenstein. Uh, it's going to be great to see Frankenstein and the whole show. I'm sure most of you have seen it by now. They're doing it uh, late July and early August. We're going to have the director and a cast and a crew member in later this month. But the Wyndham Theater Guild got a real shot in the arm. Congratulations to everybody at the theater, Martha, Victor, and the family. And one last note, too, is uh, 
the uh, the Bradley Theater is coming up. They have a new show, A Chorus Line, August 4th to the 13th. We're going to have people from the Bradley Theater here on the show as well later this month to preview that show. So lots of things happening. Enjoy the summer, and we'll see you next week. Take care.